I thought I'd start by asking uh, if you noticed a theme uh, running through the readings. Anyone notice a word that kept coming up or an idea or a theme? Anyone? Anyone? Lent? Yeah. It's the beginning of Lent uh, in the church, and for some reason, it's a time where the church talks a lot about sin, uh, about temptation. And if you've come today uh, to, to check out St. Aidan's or to visit and thinking, man, you know, the church is still talking about sin and getting caught up in this weighty stuff. And, um, you know, I thought we left that idea and that concept uh, behind a long time ago. You know, is the church still a, a violent place, a hateful place? Uh, and I think some of these passages bring up those emotions of um, being shamed for sin or being thought of as bad people or being judged for sin. And the church is often thought of as a judge, as a community that judges other people uh, for their lifestyle or their beliefs. And I want to look at uh, if Jesus' life and the story about Jesus and being tempted can change that perception uh, of what the church is meant to be, uh, change the perception of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And to do so, I want us to put ourselves, first of all, in Jesus' shoes, in this story from Matthew about him being tempted. So I want you to put on uh, your imagination to think about uh, if you were led into the wilderness. You know, you can pick your own wilderness, whether that's northern Ontario or the desert or wherever, whatever a wilderness looks like for you. Uh, but you're driven out of civilization. So there are no cottages, uh, no TVs, no fast food joints, no local bakeries by the cottage, uh, but you're just driven out uh, into the wilderness. And you fasted for 40 days and for 40 nights. Can you imagine that? I, I find it hard to go, with, go without coffee for a few hours. Uh, I can't imagine what it would be like to give up food uh, and maybe even drink for 40 days. Um, you know, if you've ever fasted before, it's hard to get past the first day or the second day or the third day, let alone the first week or the second week or the third week. Uh, even think about diets that we try and keep. It's so hard to discipline ourselves to go without. But just imagine you could, uh, that you did, and you're in the wilderness somewhere all by yourself, and someone came to you and said, uh, hypothetically, uh, I'm going to give you food. I'm going to turn these stones or this rock or this wood into food so you can eat it. You know, or I'm going to give you the option to end your life, uh, to, to, to find an escape, and you're really suffering, maybe you should just take your life. Or maybe I'll give you whatever you want, uh, like a genie, you know, appears out of nowhere in your delusion and says, I'll get you out of this mess and I'll take you to Mexico, to a resort, or to Cuba or somewhere, and give you everything you could ever desire. But there's one catch. By taking the food or taking the escape or getting whatever you want, uh, you had to leave God behind forever. 
If you chose those things, you'd be making a choice to abandon God, to disbelieve God, to shun God, to push him out of your life forever. Would you take it? Would you take the food? Would you take the way out? Think about it. You're hungry. You fasted. You're in pain. All you have to do is just take the bread. Take the escape. Take the one-way ticket to Mexico. Would you do it? I think this story sometimes gets at the struggle that we feel as humans, uh, that sometimes we do things that we don't really want to do, that even if it means shutting God out or abandoning God or the people closest to us, the people we love, uh, we still make choices that maybe don't always feel good, uh, that don't always feel right, maybe the choices we don't really want to make, but we make them anyways. I think what happens when we do that, there is a sense of shame and guilt that comes with it. You know this story from Genesis about Adam and Eve that we've heard so many times. As I was reading it this week, I thought about the author, the person who wrote it. Why did they write this story? What drove them to write about? Not just the beginning of the world, in their opinion, but about the human condition. What was it in their experience of life that made them share uh, this story? I find the most fascinating part of the story about Adam and Eve uh, is that, you know, they get tricked by the serpent, they eat from the tree of, of good and evil, and their eyes are opened and they're ashamed. They made a choice that they knew they shouldn't have. And so they try and cover themselves up. They try and cover their mistake up, their sin, their guilt, their shame. I think we, we do that too, you know, when we make mistakes. There's a sense of shame that can come with it. And sometimes we put that on ourselves, but sometimes our culture teaches that. If you've done something wrong, you should be shamed for that. You're a kid, maybe your parents shamed you, or a sibling, or a teacher, or a coach. Uh, and so we learn how to shame ourselves and to shame each other. A few weeks ago, I got to see the movie Silence uh, by Martin Scorsese. Uh, I'd highly recommend it. It's about some Jesuit missionaries who take the Christian faith to Japan. And essentially, the, I'll try not to give any spoilers, but the story is about Christians being persecuted uh, by the government there. And in awful ways, they're being tortured and killed, and all they have to do is abandon their faith. They just have to step on a picture of Jesus or spit on his face or say they're not Christians anymore. Uh, that's their situation. They're being persecuted and tortured, and all they have to do is reject their faith. And without giving too much away, there are some Christians who recant their faith, 
who stamp, stamp on the image of Jesus or say they're not Christians or say they don't believe in Jesus. And there's this sense of guilt and shame that is on their faces, that's on their bodies, that they carry with them, that they rejected their faith. They rejected Jesus. And it's been a question throughout the ages of how does God feel about those Christians who gave up their faith? It's a real, it's a real question. The church at certain points actually wouldn't take Christians back who deserted the faith who rejected Jesus. I want to ask, is that what God does with us? Is that what Jesus does with us? When we make mistakes, when we desert our faith, when we wander, does Jesus reject us and kick us out of his kingdom, of his church? Because the church does that sometimes still in lots of places. But what does Jesus do? What's his response? I think the story of the temptation of Jesus is so important for us because it shows Jesus' humanity. Uh, He's tempted in a very real way. As we imagine being led into the wilderness, fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, that's the state that he was in. And it says that he was famished. And, G- and Satan provides this easy way out for him to get out from his suffering and from his struggle. And he has the ability to say no. He has the ability to try and depend on God, to speak truth into the situation. But he was exhausted. Resisting temptation for Jesus was really, really hard. I think we can see this in that after the devil leaves Jesus, it says angels came and waited upon him. Did you notice that part? That angels came and waited upon Jesus? And when I hear that, I think of, you know, if you've ever been in hospital, in critical care, and you've had nurses wait on you. Or if you've been sick and have had a friend or a spouse or maybe when you're younger, a mother and a father, wait on you because you couldn't take care of yourself. You were too sick, too tired. You had nothing left. And this is the state that Jesus is left in after he's tempted. He has nothing left, exhausted, He needs the angels to care for him. And so it's not surprising that Jesus actually accepts sinners, that he hangs out with sinners and tax collectors, the marginalized, the outcasts, those people who don't belong. Because maybe he knew how hard it is to be tempted Maybe he knew the shame that we sometimes feel, and he wanted to provide another way for us, another way that doesn't involve shame and guilt and fear. There's a story that really captures this for me. 
when there's a woman in his day who's caught in adultery. And the law said that if this woman was caught in adultery, she'd be stoned. She deserved to die. And so they're trying to trap Jesus. They're trying to get him. They don't like him. So they bring him this woman and say, here, teacher, what are you supposed to do with this woman? If you don't kill her, then you're abolishing the law and you're saying uh, the law doesn't hold up. But if you say to kill her, the people might turn against you. And so Jesus turns the tables and says, which one of you here gathered hasn't sinned in your life? Which one of you hasn't made mistakes? And one by one, as Jesus waits, the crowd leaves. And Jesus is left alone with this woman and said, did no one condemn you? Then neither do I. Go and sin no more. And it's this way that Jesus had of restoring dignity to people who were lost and broken and caught in shame. I think this is really good news for each and every one of us. I know for me personally um, that I'm not always the person I want to be, that I'm not always the pastor I want to be, the leader I want to be, the friend, the husband. And sometimes I don't actually like who I am. Sometimes I feel ashamed of who I am. Not that I tell anyone, except for right now. Uh, But, you know, I struggle with that. You know, it says that we're our own worst critics. And I feel that about myself, that I can show other people grace, but I don't show myself a lot of grace, because I don't deserve it. You know, God knows better. Uh, He knows who I actually am. And yet Jesus says, yeah, I know who you are. I've actually walked in the same shoes you're walking in. And so I want to show you compassion. I want to show you life. I want to give you another chance. I want to show you redemption. I want to give my life to you as a gift so that you can be renewed so that you can have hope in the midst of death, so that you can have life in the midst of death. And so Jesus wants to take away the shame, take away the guilt, take away the fear and the anger and the pride, to transform us into new people who are people of life and hope and faith and compassion, that in the same way that Jesus shows us compassion, we're meant to show compassion to other people. To close, I just want to put that out there for us as a church community, that this church, us individually, corporately, and the wider church, we have fallen short of this call to be compassionate to be forgiving, to be understanding. But can we be a community, can we be a church that learns how to show compassion first with each other? You know, we all make mistakes. I've made mistakes here. I've screwed up. I've done things I'm not proud of. 
But can we forgive one another? Can we say, okay, you know what? We made a mistake. We messed up. But can we learn to forgive each other? Can we learn to show each other the same amount of grace uh, that Jesus showed those he lived with? I think people will want to be a part of this community because we're willing to be compassionate. The world can be a pretty hard place these days. It's pretty edgy. It's pretty dismal in some places. There's a lot of nasty people out there. Can we be a different kind of community? Can we be a community that follows after Jesus in this way, who can walk in another person's shoes and show them the kind of kindness and compassion that we need, uh, that we want so badly too. Amen.